Welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist Radio Show with host Karen Rands. A compassionate capitalist is someone who invests their money into entrepreneur endeavors to bring innovation to the market and create wealth for all those involved. Karen shares insights and best practices for entrepreneurs to succeed and investors to share in that success without all the risks. And now... So welcome back to the Compassionate Capitalist podcast. And for those of you watching through YouTube, the video, of course, uh, you know, our goal with this show, as many of you that are regular listeners know, is to expand your minds as to what's out there available when it comes to raising capital uh, to grow your business and become successful, create the wealth that entrepreneurs expect to generate when they be, decide to take on the challenge of becoming an entrepreneur, but also for investors to talk about, to learn you know, how they can participate. Because as you know, if you've read my book, Inside Secrets to Angel Investing, there are so many ways for people to participate in the success of entrepreneurs and so many sources of capital for entrepreneurs that go beyond just your traditional angel investor and venture capitalist. And all too often entrepreneurs don't know it and all too often, often investors don't know that they have these options. I talk about one of these means in my books because it's like one of my most favorite means and that is I call it uh, uh, royalty finance or revenue, revenue finance. My guest today calls it revenue-based investment. So we're going to talk about that today. It is a, if you are a real estate investor, it's like investing in something like investing in, a, in a, an apartment complex or a series of rental homes that are going to give you income every month, sort of, kind of, but it's like an annuity almost because you can expect to get your return through the profits, the revenue that that company is generating. And it's a really great way to diversify a portfolio uh, so that you can have, just like with real estate, you have a flip, you have something that gives you reoccurring revenue, and then you have something that you're holding for the long term that's going to have a big return when, when that, the market is ready for that. And so I, in my book, I talk about investing in companies in the same way as that and finding that to diversify your portfolio to decrease your risk because there's different ways to do that. And one of the things that my guest Jonathan Bragdon is going to talk about today with me is how this is an ideal situation for communities to get engaged in helping the entrepreneurs and their communities succeed, creating jobs, creating all kinds of economic opportunity within a community, within a city. And so that's the premise of what we're going to talk about. So now I know you're glued to your seat and you're going to be watching or listening to this. Let me tell you a little bit about Jonathan before we get started. So you understand why this is such a special, a special type of um, interview that I'm doing here today. Okay. So Jonathan and I actually go way back. And you'll hear why. So, but before we met each other, he was uh, graduated with an industrial engineering degree from Georgia Tech. And then he got his MBA from the Owen School of Management at Vanderbilt. He did a short stint in the corporate world in brand management and started his first company in the year 2000 
3HD at the beginning of what was the, I would say the craze of everybody had to be, have a web design company and the customer engagement. It was like really the, the explosion of the internet as a commerce platform and a business platform. And so that was what that first company, and it got acquired. And then he um, started the company Tricycle that I, or Tricycle that I knew him from because he came and he engaged in my angel investor group and we were doing our dinners, the network of business angels and investors and had presented through that. I remember going to Chattanooga and seeing what he had going on and it was fascinating to me. And I guess it was his engineering background and he, it was, um, it was a, a technology that in a, in effect gave a 3D image on a piece of paper of material goods like carpets and bricks and things like that, that cost so much to send sh samples around. Or if you weren't nearby, you pretty much couldn't do that in business. You had to be tactic, tactic, you know, there physically in order to go look at your bricks or something, right? And so he went on to get an award for one of the fastest growing um, companies in Inc. Magazine. He got all kinds of sustainable and environmental awards. It was phenomenal how much a piece of carpet had in, in the amount of petroleum that was in a piece of carpet when they make that. And so it was just um, a phenomenal kind of a company. Shaw Industries eventually bought that. He went on to do a couple of more startups with exits and investing in startups and holding board seats in startups until he started his company Capacity that he has now. And capacity is also capacity capital and capacity, I guess, consulting is the other one. And so, um, and he'll correct me on all of that stuff right now. But I want to say hello, Jonathan. Welcome to the show, the Capacity Capitalist Podcast. I'm really excited that we are reconnecting after all this time and, um, and excited to talk about all the, the good stuff you're doing up there in Chattanooga now. Me too, Karen. It's good to be here. So did I get anything wrong? Do I need to correct? Did you need to correct anything in my? I mean, th there's probably a few. You probably made me look really good through some of those. There are a couple <laughs> of those companies that I, you know, was probably part of the starting or growing team. It was never just me. You know, jumped into the company and grow them, and I wasn't always the one you took it from. Uh, you know, all the way through, and I think that's. I mean, it's something you learn over time. Is you've got to have a really good team, and um, but always been involved in, you know, starting and growing companies and, you know, at the very earliest stages. And so that's always been fun. There has always been a tech bent and that's, it's kind of, it got me to where I am now, but I'm, I'm I really did make that shift from founder to funder. And so I'm in, I'm pretty new on the funding side uh, in an official capacity, but I have invested in a number of companies and been involved in a couple of funds before. Um, and then our focus is really more, you know, capacity in general is, is about the growing companies, really small, but just, you know, post revenue type companies um, and to get them to the next level and create some optionality for, for those founders. And, but certainly creating some uh, different, as you said, ways to diversify investing in companies uh, that have revenue uh, for investors. Yeah, um, it's a it's a it's a different animal. Um, okay, one you don't hear about a whole lot. So. Right, exactly, exactly. That's why we're talking about this today. But before we get into that, um, let me ask you because I always love to ask this question for entrepreneurs that then cross over and sit on the other side of the table as an investor. What was your aha sort of moment, kind of a thing when you were 
um, when you, you know, first started to decide to look at deals to, to make investments in that you went, that's why they always ask that question or, oh, now, you know, guys, I, I'm asking that same question. I hated getting that as an entrepreneur. I always would. Was there ever a moment where you kind of the a light bulb went off and you went, oh, it, you know, the difference between asking for money versus, you know, paying money, you know, or, or investing money that there was a switch where you thought a paradigm switch where you thought about something a little bit different? Yeah. I mean, and there's, there's a, a whole lot of those. Um, Cause it depends on the seat that you're sitting in and what your objectives are. And so as a, as a founder um, in building a company, you're, you're just looking for fuel. I need some fuel. I want to grow the opportunities there. Um, and as an investor, you, you know, you're not just there to give somebody fuel. You're there to uh, put, uh, you know, to invest in that, you know, race car or whatever analogy you want to and, and get to a finish line so you can actually get something out of it. And so the, the equation that you use mentally for what that transaction is looks completely different on two sides of that table, right? And so I think what you're getting at is it, because it looks different, it looks like, you know, especially when you get cash up front as a founder, you know you need to translate that into something of value later on, but it's it's typically hard to put your finger on one, what that really costs and two, what you really need to return to the investor. When you're sitting on the investor side, you know, you're thinking in terms of, you know, what IRR, what kind of cash on cash do I want back? And then how does this company create value to, to turn it into that? And, you know, I, the reason that we're doing the mechanism that we're doing is because I, I wanted to invest in something that I understand, which is how do you grow revenues and how do you create a business that is growing revenues and profitability as opposed to uh, valuations yeah. which as you know, driving to an exit. And that's where this differentiates itself with, you know, with, with a lot of the equity vehicles and certainly venture capital, but you know, even seed and down to some of the angel equity tools. Um, you know, this is, invest in revenues versus valuation. It's also not like debt where you're, you're, you're basically investing, holding on to collateral just in right. case it was, you know, the downside. So um, the, the, the different perspectives were, I mean, I think that was highly formative. You know, I've realized there were a number of conversations I've had with in the past, even with my own investors in own companies that just sounded like complete foreign language as a founder. Because like you're supposed to be on my side, thinking the way I am to build a company this way, and it's just it just isn't that way, you know. Yeah. As, as investor, you're, you want to be aligned with the founder, but you have different incentives. Right. And so have, right. having to understand both of those is critical for founders and investors. Yeah. So. Well, you know, that's, uh, I've made a business out of that for probably 20 years of where, and okay, now I'm putting on my investor hat and this is what an investor is going to say, or now this is the yeah. entrepreneur and what the entrepreneur and trying to match up the goals of what an entrepreneur has with the investors. And it's, you know, and the, and it's a, there's a finesse to it. There's a marketing messaging to it. There's, you know, it's a, it's figuring out who your perfect investor is. There's all kinds of of science to the art of raising capital that uh, is for another show. But um, I wanted to also, you know, say about that. Uh, and, and I think that's where this revenue based investment becomes really important. 
the media, the hype of what you see on a lot of what, like right now, there's so many pitch competitions and there's business plan competitions and there's all this kind of stuff. And that pipeline of what you see from a, a, a you know, the seed round or friends and family to an angel investor to VC, the measure of how they exit oftentimes in the corporate acquisition isn't always the things that we think of as in business school, so to speak, that it's a, that it's revenue, it's profit. It's, you know, I had, I did a podcast not too long ago that was um, talking about sort of the, the um, infrastructure of what a company needs to have in order to be able to sell the company. Right. And, and it goes, there's, there's premises of it. You know, if you look back at um, the cash flow quadrant, for example, Robert Kiyosaki, right? A business owner is somebody that can, the business will run on its own. It has systems and, and things in place so it can run even if that business owner isn't there and make money and be profitable. And then it becomes a really key thing for an acquisition, which most entrepreneurs don't truly understand because of all of the hype is that majority, I think it's like 90% of the companies that actually you know, go through a successful exit or done through an acquisition versus an IPO. And so what we're going to talk about today and that piece, there's so many incubators and accelerators and cohorts and all these things that talk about getting started and getting that, but there's so few that really focus on what you're talking about that you do with capacity that says, you know, how do you go from now you got your customers are generating revenue. So how do you multiply that and do that 2x, 3x, 4x, 5x scale, right? That's my next book is about how to go about doing that and, and scale because I realize that's why we have so many companies that get stuck because they don't really know how to put the systems and they're so used to being a founder and the nature of having scarce resources to actually putting resources in place to be able to sustain a growth pattern and find the capital that is going to invest in that kind of company that's not one of these, you know, giant growth unicorn companies that VCs are chasing after. And so let's get into what you're doing, what you come up with as your solution, because it is something that I think every metropolitan area needs to look at and, and see how to go about putting something like this in place. And let's start out by explaining to people what exactly revenue-based investment is, okay? That sounds good. So I, I actually, when I sold out of the last company, I, my initial intent was to start a VC fund. And I, two things stopped me from doing that. One was it, it was it was fueling companies that I loved and they should be headline companies and that and we need venture capital to fuel the very high growth you know and, and, you know create the unicorns and even the you know the ones that are even a hundred million dollar exits and you know we need that I felt like I probably couldn't deliver on that to an investor because I I, I don't know that I could pick those winners or didn't feel comfortable doing that very few can. Very, very few. If you go yeah. look at the data on venture capital, um, I mean, it's half the venture funds don't even return the money, which yeah. is unbelievable. So it takes, <laughs> it takes a lot of skill, takes a great network, and, and those are out there. It's like, I can't compete in that space, number one. Number two, um, I wanted to have a vehicle that would grow 
what I consider regular companies and, and, and be able to dip into revenue and profits and sustainable growth and, and not depend on the $100 million exit to create a return for the investor. And what I found out was that's probably 80, 90% of companies. You start digging into, well, like the, some of the fastest growing companies in the, in the, in, in, in the country are Inc. Inc. 500, Inc. 5000. Look at that list. 5% of the Inc. 500 are venture backed. 5%. Oh, really? Yep. It's the vast majority are not venture backed. Now, there's a lot of other ways to fund those companies. You know, obviously, the best is revenue. Um, but, you know, to grow that, that kind of growth, uh, you're going to have to have different types of fuel, but it's not always venture capital. And I think it's where angels fit, different debt structures, you know, different you know, royalty type stretch structures, there's a whole bunch, there's a bunch out there. So I picked revenue-based investment um, because I felt like it fit more of the companies that I was talking to. Um, and this is mid-sized, small cities, you know, just outside the coast, not, not the Bay, not New York, not Boston. Um, and could, I could invest in, in their revenues and sit alongside them to help grow revenue uh, in a sustainable way and create optionality for them later on. If you take, you know, cause one thing you learn building companies, if you, if you take the wrong type of capital too early, uh, that can be just as deadly as not getting the capital, right? So making sure the type of capital that the company needs at that point in time fits, make sure it fits, uh, is, is just as critical. And so what, what that does, it creates this whole um, really diversified uh, set of companies. You can look at it from a deal flow standpoint where, you know, a few of them, super high growth, venture capital, equity, all those terms, great. A few of them on the other side, debt, they've got collateral, probably works. They might even be bankable, um, even though they're pretty early. And then in between, there's all these variations. So revenue-based investment from, there's a lot of flavors of this. Our capacities fund is focused in on, uh, it's like a fancy convertible note is what it sort of operates as. But basically, say we put $100,000 into a company. Um, we want that company to have a line of sight to doubling their revenues in 12 to 24 months. So that's the time frame that we're looking at from a growth standpoint. Oh, sure. Not, that's a, that's a good measurement. At, yeah. We're not looking at a company to take over a market in five years uh, or, or th things of that nature. How, you know, how, how, how big is the TAM and you know, what, what's the, you know, how big can this possibly get? Nope. Can you double in 12 to 24 months? Because then the math works. So we'll put, say, say just to make the math easy, 100,000 in, uh, we're going to take a percent of revenue coming back out and we'll calculate that out so that we, we don't put a term on this. So we're sitting in like an equity investor. So it's not debt. There's no maturity date. The incentive is for us to work together, give them tools that they need if they need them to grow as fast sustainably as possible, not to make crazy growth decisions, but execute your plan. 12 yeah. to 24 months and then we'll get a return that we need, you know, over the course of three, four, five years and, 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 and don't die. So hundred thousand in, we'll cap what we get out, but we'll create on a multiple basis. Like we'll, we'll get two to four X of our investment. Right. Um, if that succeeds, but we do create some optionality. Um, so just in case, 
the company does sell at some point or create some kind of liquidity event, uh, we have taken a right to equity, kind of like a warrant, but we'll actually say, hey, we'll have a right to 10% of the company, you know, because it's usually pretty early. It may not have other, other equity in it. Um, and that equity right has a, has a kind of a clock on it. So as, they, as the company pays us a percent of revenue, they're also redeeming back that equity right over time. So eventually we get our multiple, get our return. Our incentive is to grow, help them grow as fast as possible because the IRR shoots up. But if they decide to exit, then we can get a return right then or convert straight into, into, the, into that first yeah. round. So end of the day, for the founder, it keeps all their options open. Mm -hmm. so they can decide, I do want to light the rocket and go get some venture capital and go at the end of two years or three years or whenever they find out they've really got something they can, they can super scale. Or they may say, I like 30, 40% margins and 10% growth. Yeah. And I want to keep that type of scaling going and maintain control of it. So with those options, the investor is still going to get the return no matter what direction they go after that. And it twins really well with other debt because it doesn't take a first debt. So debt can come in and this sits behind kind of like equity, but it also twins really well with equity because we're not taking, we're not taking voting rights. It's less, it's, it's less dilutive because we're getting redeemed back over time. Yeah, sure. So it's pretty easy to pair with other types of investment structures. Yeah. Now, did you take any of this kind of re uh, investment in on any of your companies when you were running them? No, actually, I mean, versions of this I asked for multiple times that yeah. could never do the deals. Yeah, it's sort of, uh, it's interesting. I, and so, because angel investors themselves, even though it so makes sense, because the multiple of 2X or 4X is really what they're trying to get with some kind of exit, but then they all get caught up in that valuation issue. So how, because it's all based on what the equity is going to go for down the road, are they going to, so they're not going to be diluted. There's always these anti-dilution provisions that also then ends up limiting other types of capital that can come in. VCs don't like it when angels do that because they want them to go for the ride. They want them to contribute more to stay in their share. You know, there's all kinds of these terms that the different equity investors will put in to protect their value of their equity in this expectation of trying to get a minimum of two or four X on their investment you know they always shoot for the, the roof or the sky whatever the moon but they're and i you know I've, and i just have, i've never quite understood why this is not done more often because it seems like you say it pairs so well and it seems to be a really great way to bridge finance to get companies into more of a of something that's more stable for going after or deciding to because when you take on the big brother of venture capital, you, you, you have a new master. And that's one of the reasons why I've looked at this for some entrepreneurs that they just don't have the, they really don't want to have, they always, whenever they say, well, then I'm going to buy them out. Right. And it's like, okay, you don't want a long-term equity partner in this. You want to keep running it. You don't want to be forced to sell your company in order to produce a, a liquidity event. You don't want to, you know, all these other kind of things. And if that's the psyche of the entrepreneur, they really need to be figuring out how to do that. So, 
as you go around talking about your your fund or this concept even out in Chattanooga or outside of Chattanooga I'm sure you're expanding all through yeah how tell me how do people do, what makes makes an, an investor start to understand the value of this as a as a strategy well two two things um one is understanding strategically what the different investment tools are actually doing and you've spent years decades maybe do, doing doing this like an equity investment the asset that you're investing in is the valuation of the company so all the control terms and all the valuation, you know, you know that stuff is it's really complicated. It's one reason I'm not doing it, you know, because but that because that's the asset. On debt, the asset is collateral. In some cases, debt may be contracts that are, you know, solidified. There's some kind of asset. So that's that that's a that collateral for debt is there. For for revenue-based investment, the asset is revenue stream. And so we're doing what we can to create a revenue stream that's sustainable, which also means you have to focus on the bottom line as well. But the mechanics are pretty straightforward. So as, as I talk about this to different groups, especially investors who have, hey, we've been in the market, we've done a little bit of angel investing. Um, it, it doesn't look like either one of those things. And so, but if they've done a little bit of real estate, you mentioned this a little earlier, it, it starts to click. Because you realize, oh, you, what you're doing in your fund is you're stacking up investments. The asset is revenue streams. So you're stacking up all these revenue streams of these companies and, and having a piece of that revenue stream and, and trying to keep all those revenue streams healthy. And it's, that's the other thing is the default rate's incredibly small on, on a portfolio like this compared sure. to venture capital, right? Because it's all or nothing venture capital. With revenue, it's like, well, let, let's just keep all these companies healthy and growing. And and so when you start to look at that on a pro forma standpoint and not even realize it's a fund, it looks like real estate. It looks like you're investing in streams of revenue, yeah. property cash flows, and it's and 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 it kind of is. I mean, it's the same same type of, of, of feel to it. Because yeah. um, so that, that it'll click there sometimes. So this is a good time to go to tell everybody, if you want to learn more about this and the programs that Jonathan offers and all the information, go to capacity.is. That's his website, C-A-P-A-C-I-T-Y dot I-S. Okay, that's a new one, dot I-S. And so, um, okay, so let's, uh, let's talk about where, because one of the things that I think also entrepreneurs need to um, and I guess city leaders need to understand, right? Because they, I, I struggle with this um, all the time when I when I talk in uh, in economic development, you know, speeches and things like that. Because, you know, there's the people that that think of themselves, like self-identify as an angel investor, and they're going after tech companies, right? And they're always like, and and even when you know, oh, we got to have an incubator, it's like tech stuff, right? But then there's all, you think about, if you look around your city, all the other kinds of businesses and all the people that have gone on and like you, that was a great example that 5% of the Inc. 500 are not venture backed. And when you look at private equity funds, which is sort of this other anomaly of funds that are out there, they don't really usually invest in tech companies that are VC. They're sort of like a parallel path of VCs where you got what I call meat and potatoes kind of companies. So they might be manufacturing something. They might be doing, um, 
you know, last mile of assembly. They could be in the services business of, of you know, a, a plumbing or electric or, you know, some kind of architecture firm or, you know, all kinds of, of things where they're just, they might just be serving their own local city and that scaling strategy of the two of the two X and 20, 12 to 24 months is that they're going to take what they're doing here and they're going to replicate it in a city two hours down the road, you know, or they're going to, and they've got some expansion plan that they're going to use the money for and for economic development groups and economic development authorities to understand how to tap the money in the chamber and the people that are already running successful businesses or executives and companies that have, a, you know, cash, you know, their own personal liquidity to make this kind of investment and invest in the businesses in their own backyard. You know, that's, that's what, that, that is, that's how we, how we turn our economies around right now, dealing with what we're going to be faced with and turning around this, our, this stuff in the pandemic. There's only so much that a bank or a government can do. We, as the people in our communities, have the ability to turn around and look in our own backyard, take out our wallet and say, hey, what are you going to do? What, here's what your situation is. Here's what you do. Let's think about ways we can pivot so you can create new revenue streams and you can double it and triple it. So how long have you been doing this up in Chattanooga? And was it something that was a public part, a private partnership? Or did you sort of like go... Like, like I realize it's an opportunity, but I haven't had a chance. I haven't really had the effectiveness to get a, 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 a community to bite into it and go, oh, yes, let's do this. I mean, I went to Florida and I've talked about it in a couple of different places, but I, I'm, I'm just fascinated that you, you know, really just, you know, put on your boots and said, let's go get this done. So talk about how's it going, how you've been doing it and, and, and how you know, sort of best practices or what you're yeah, sure. So, so this, it, we just, it just started in th this year. I mean, okay. That's what you do. You start a fund in the middle of a pandemic and <laughs> yeah. just for fun. Um, I, I will say I don't have like, I don't have the talent or the following to um, talk really big about something uh, enough to get, uh, you know, a, a whole lot of people on board from, from, you know, the government or, or wherever else before getting something started. The only way I've ever done something is just put my head down, talk to places where I think the problems might be, figure out what those are, start solving them, you know, find, find the hairballs and trouble spots and see if there's a way to, to pick that apart in a, in a way that is operational, that can be operationalized and scalable, right? So this, this was really more about talking to 100 companies and figuring out what's blocking your growth. Like the, the, the types of companies you're talking about. Because we do have, like m most of the cities, a lot of cities in the Southeast have just an amazing startup ecosystem, right? We can always get that bigger and bigger and bigger. And, but usually it's the really sexy companies, the potential 1% um, that can go to the moon, that get all the headlines. It, and, and we should have those, we've gotta have that. Just like we've gotta be able to recruit businesses, you know, locally, geographically. But it's a pretty dry space for all these other regular businesses, right? Yep. So in talking, to, in talking to that group, um, it really formed up this theory of change that, um, you know, that, that capacity really stands for. Because the fund is one part of capacity. The, the main part of capacity is connecting with these companies that are 
really small, but post startup, 250,000 in revenue, up to three, four, maybe 5 million in revenue, mm-hmm. figuring out how to take the blockers out of the way. And sometimes that's as easy as, look, here is an accounting firm that understands your vertical and this is really slowing you down because you need to figure out the cash flow cycle on this. And, oh, you know, okay. Sometimes it's, and it's not just, hey, we're doing a bunch of consulting. We do a little bit of consulting. A lot of it's just connecting the dots and into existing groups within the ecosystem that's already there. And, and sometimes it is, you know, straight up, you need to think about your capital stack and your whole capital strategy because it needs to fit properly if you want to go from here to there. And so sometimes it's, you know, you're being a you know, psychiatrist, you know, what's, what's bothering you? And then, but most of the time it's what's blocking you? What, 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 how do you get to the next level? And so sometimes our fund fits into that, sometimes it doesn't. But what we hope to, to show is that, and this is the theory of change, is that the impact of these type of businesses is outsized within the community compared to other organizations and things that actually get all the headlines, right? The local business that hires locally, maybe sells locally, but probably sells globally, is going to have a huge impact on the community, uh, even more so than, you know, in aggregate, than a company that becomes a billion dollar company, gets sold, and most of it moves away. And all that wealth gets distilled and managed out of New York. Like that's, that's what, what changes more. You need both of those, but which one, you know, I can affect, I can help affect that, that one group. And the other thing is, is what I also realized is that most investors have no idea this stuff is there. And so finding these type of opportunities where the value can be created in just basic businesses, unsexy businesses, it's, it used, it, it's always been the realm of, you know, somebody who wants to go acquire a company that's already there and then ramp it up. And, and, and that's an amazing way to do it. I think, and I considered that too, but I, I think I have too much um, vocational ADD. <laughs> different companies. And so um, that, that's, that's where this came from. Um, and I do, I do think showing what's possible uh, through these companies, showing that you can get a market rate return you can create optionality for the founders um, and you can twin really well with the existing system that's there, including the government and the nonprofits, right. and other investment groups. Like it can all, it, it, it's not one or the other. It's an and, 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 and like, I'll give you an example. One of our, um, one of our portfolio companies is a, is a, is a restaurant, local restaurant. Um, like that, that seems crazy, you know, investing in that and certainly in the middle of the pandemic. Well, they've, this year they've managed to double their revenues, right? Really? But they've managed to double their revenues. A lot of adaptation, a lot of shifting around, you know, a lot of really difficult things to do, but that took some financial engineering. It took some operational engineering and took some basically two founders that were just absolutely, uh, you know, just, they would never quit and went after it. Now, you invest in a company like that, you end up having, and we have a few L, few local LPs in Chattanooga because we invest across the Southeast, but a few local LPs in Chattanooga, what other, what other investment could you make? Because you invest in a fund like this that will invest in a local company. What other investment can you make where you could go buy a barbecue 
and end up that revenue actually goes back into the fund. Some of the revenue. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you've yeah. actually increased your return by increasing the business that goes to that local company. And so you don't have to do anything as an LP, but you may be doing it anyway. You may be influencing what's going on. These local companies help other restaurants, other local companies. Um, and it's, it, it ends up being a, a pretty interesting symbiotic way, way to look at it. And, it. and it multiplies the other things that are going on. If there's city grants and if there's federal money or you know whatever, it's just a multiplier. that um yeah well and then you know and part of that is i think you know there when i've come up with like terms and we talk about other things that people might think of as angel investing because so many people that have the means the capacity to be an angel investor okay there was a quote for y'all listening i just did quotes air quotes around angel investor um is that uh there they i discovered when i released my book that a lot of that target market of the folks that are making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in their w2 job mm-hmm. have never heard of angel investing because they their their wealth manager or their financial planner or their accountant never talked to them about it because of the silly finra regulations about talking to your clients about this stuff and so if they had heard of angel investing it was in the context of almost like high risk gamble, you know, it's just like, it's the, I don't know, the guys with the swagger or something, right? But they had heard of being a silent partner in a business, right? Oh, I'm gonna be a silent partner in a business. Oh, I wanna own pieces of multiple businesses. They knew those terms. And this is really, I think this investment, or this revenue-based investment looking at the businesses that are in your community that you think have real potential to grow. It's sort of like the Buffett model that says, what do you understand? What do you think has potential? And what is it that because that entrepreneur is working so hard in their business, that old adage of working in their business and not on their business, that they can't see the potential of where it can go and finding, even if you don't, if you're not, you know, finding people similar to what Jonathan has done, if you're not up in that area or you're somewhere far away listening to this and you think, oh, I can do that in my community, that this is a a mechanism that you can have direct impact on your local economy by putting, making money, having some fun and doing good by creating sustainable businesses with good jobs in your community. So, so to that, Jonathan, let's talk about a little bit of nuts and bolts as we start to wrap up here. How would, I mean, because I'm assuming that you got your plate full with looking in your own vicinity. You're not real. Are you going outside of Tennessee at this point? Yeah. And looking at yes, this? certainly. Are. Okay, great. So, yeah. so how does a company get themselves set up for this? Is there, I mean, convertible notes have a piece of paper. Is it similar? They can come and knock on your door and say, do I qualify? And then you provide that, that infrastructure of means, the paperwork, so to speak, for doing this and figuring out what it all is or. You, you mean a founder or an investor? Uh, on the founder side, let's talk with the founder side. On the founder side, they're looking at this and, you know, maybe because you said you had entertained it before, they could come to you or they might know some people that are in their local chamber that might want to come together and do something like this. 
in their, you know, themselves for them in particular, and then it can be replicated. What would an, what would an, what would an entrepreneur need to sort of like checklist of here's what I know I need to have in order to be able to, uh, you know, participate in this kind of an investment model? Yeah. So, so, well, first of all, um, I am, I have, you know, eight or 10 phone calls a day talking to founders. Oh, I, okay. That's what I do. So, and, and a lot of it's purely education. You know, it's like, hey, you may not be ready for this now, um, but, but tell me what you're, you know, so forget the fund. Let's figure out where you are from a growth standpoint and see if this might fit at some point or if, you know, if I can be helpful, I'll be helpful and I'll do an introduction or whatever it is. So I'll talk to, you know, I think founders, you know, if, if, if you're worth your salt anyway, you're not going to be afraid to talk to anyone. You're going to reach out to anybody. Um, reach out, talk to me, find me on LinkedIn, you know, get, connect to this link on, on, on your site. And if, 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 and there's even a form on the website on, on the, on the capital side of the site that um, you, know, you can just, you know, throw your name in and I'll, I'll ping you back. I mean, it's, it's, nice. it's not. And, and we are investing all over the Southeast, sometimes a little bit, further than that but but we're highly interested in uh this this multiplying this type of structure um to become much more popular there are a few misfits like me around the country most most of the ones that i are, are people that i've learned from have been around doing this a little longer than i have but there's just not that many but it's starting to get some real momentum you know there are groups like like kaufman foundation uh, or Rockefeller, like th th they see this as a growing asset class that can really improve certain cities. Both of those uh, have, have supported funds like mine, um, you know, from an investment standpoint, not like a grant or anything. And so, so even uh, you're going to see institutions start to 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 you know put more and more into these type of vehicles. Um, so, from a founder standpoint, th the real basics of if this even fitting is, can you not get debt capital? Because most debt is less expensive than equity, sure. right? And we're in the middle. Somewhere. Right. We're less expensive than equity, certainly on an upside. And, and, and we're certainly less expensive than debt on a downside. But on an upside, if your company's on an upside, debt's the cheapest you know, money you can get other than revenue, right? Sure. So try to figure out the debt side, and a lot of a lot of groups can help with that. If, if you can't get debt, don't qualify. Bad credit, don't have revenues, don't have assets, don't have collateral, all the rest of that. You know, then let's talk about some of the different alternatives to, to get there on this. Or you need more money than what a, a lender would provide to you. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And you know that that happens quite a bit. You know, we we have conversations all the time about. Uh, even making debt more possible because we're investing alongside, kind of like mezzanine right. investing, yeah. right? Mezzanine, uh -huh. yeah. we're, we're doing some of that on a really small scale. Um, and then, I mean, as far as uh, organizations wanting to implement something like this, that, that's, again, same kind of conversation. I'm an open book with how we've structured stuff and what we're doing um, because I, I, there needs to be a whole lot more of it out there. I mean, I, yeah. I we can't do it all. So. I'm on team capacity or team team Bragdon. I just tell you that because I really do love this uh, particular model. I think it is a very little known method to get to the the end goal for a lot of companies. 
I also see it as um, you talked about how it pairs up well with equity, but I think it also pairs up well with any of the, the means for doing general solicitation mm. because sometimes you like I, I like I like to say my target customer, if you will, is somebody that's in that ballpark, usually a half a million to a couple million in revenue, maybe did a friends and family round or a seed round. They've been growing organically. They've got another product they want to bring out or they've been servicing a certain market and they want to expand into other markets or a certain industry sector and they want to, you know, modify whatever there is to be able to sell to a different, another parallel industry. And so they've got a growth strategy, but as you have identified, they don't know where, they can't get the money, can't get it from a bank, can't get it from traditional angels. They're too, they've, take too slow growth or wrong industry for VCs, too small for private equity funds. And they could take something like this, shore up their organization, get their, get their stuff figured out on how they're really going to launch, and then use some of that momentum to raise really large capital through, you know, so like a 506C or a Reg A plus or some of these other, other yeah. means as a complementary to that. And so I, I you know, I'm just really, I was so excited when you called because um, to find out that you were, you know, we were like thinking the same way, hundreds of miles apart and many years apart, you know, so that's uh, really excited. So here's where the few, few minutes we have left. What have we not covered that you wanted to make sure you pointed out and, and shared with folks? I mean, I, I, I think one thing, um, like there's some there's some interesting dynamics just from a um, just from a society standpoint too that where where things shift. If you go and I I'm a numbers geek, so I dug into a lot of these numbers and you figure out who's been invested in, what, you know what were the results, who invests in who, um, you know which you know what companies are growing the fastest, and you know you know obviously companies with fewer than 20 employees grow faster than those that are bigger. So there's there's all these opportunities, but the but the amazing one that was really eye-opening. And, you know, I think a lot of us had some of our blind spots opened even over the past year. But one of the amazing one is just how, how a lot of the deals are done uh, when you start striating by geography, certainly, by gender, by race. And you start striding through that and you go look at venture capital and how, what's that look like? Well, it's, it's, it's a pretty plain picture of, one type of person right and then if you go into debt it there's there's similar not as bad but there's similar you know things there when you put a a, a structure like this out there you, you've for the most part you've taken away a lot of that you know pattern recognition type structure and you're looking specifically at a company that needs to you know in this case double in two years do you have revenue or do you not you know, time is the best due diligence. Your revenue is the best value validation, right? Right. So, so what you've got that you're not, you're, you have to bet on a founder, but your determination of whether that founder is worth the investment or not is uh, augmented by these other data points. And so we end up having a much more diverse opportunity, but a much a, across a much broader group of companies um, and it's fascinating. One, but one thing I learned, Indy, the Bryce out of NDVC in LA was, I've got to know him a little bit. He, you know, I get, 
he shared a, a good bit about his portfolio and you know, there's zero intent in our funds the same way, zero intent around gender or race or geography other than Southeast, you know, and I'm a little biased toward Chattanooga, but we invest all over Southeast. But even without that criteria for investment, the like Indy's portfolio is half women led, half of those, half of the founders are, are women led, 40% some flavor minority led, 20% black owned businesses. That is with zero criteria for investment. It's just because the mechanism fits more companies. Yeah. yeah. Growth base. And, and, and can actually create a, a, a way for those companies to get to the next level to be ready for greater equity and all these other mechanisms you're talking about or to, or to move into, you know, actually get to have a better negotiating yeah. position yeah. When, when they're doing it. So that, that, that's something that gets, doesn't get stated a lot. We talk about, we invest in the, overlooked and they underestimated mm-hmm. and overlooked because they're just deals investors don't see you know, yeah. typically underestimated because this is not hyper growth type business but the value creation is still there yeah. more so so that's that's it very good yeah that's thank you so much for sharing that and i want to kind of close out with i kind of had a uh, aha remembering moment because uh, when I was first, uh, uh, when I was in the midst of writing Inside Secrets to Angel Investing and trying to figure out how I was going to actually complete this book, that people would be of value in the marketplace and do what I wanted to do to promote the idea of compassionate capitalism. I was visiting a friend uh, of mine in, in California who lived in San Francisco. And I was talking about angel investing. He goes, what's angel investing? And I looked at, I was like, what? You don't know what angel investing is. And um, and so I use the example, and this is where I think what you do with capacity capital and your capacity is a partners. What's the third piece of that? I don't have, It's the uh, overall. It is capacity partners, but we just refer to it as capacity. Yeah. So th- that I, sa- I said, well, let's put it to you this way. You know, now with the new laws and everything that you can do with, you know, the great economic democratization of the Jobs Act was not only to give entrepreneurs more ways to get access to capital through, you know, means that they do and not be, you know, told they couldn't do that because of how they were communicating, but also for investors of all types to be able to participate in entrepreneur endeavors and the greatest source of of wealth creation and and you know uh personal choice when it comes to how you live your life is if you're a successful entrepreneur the next greatest source of that is are those that are investors in those successful entrepreneurs but not everybody wants to wait and see what's going to happen in four five six seven years and so i said well think about it this way you're down you have this favorite restaurant down the street that you walk down the street to go to and you go there every Friday night or something, you know the owners, owner comes and talks to you and um, it's always busy, there's always a line and um, the owner comes to you because you're a regular and they say, hey look, you know, the haircut place next door is shutting down and we're gonna double our restaurant to go into this, uh, this place on the, next, on the next side, you know, over here, we just need to get 10 people to give us $10,000 and, you know, to invest in us, okay, your hundred grand so that we can expand into that. And you thinking, oh, I love this business. I love this restaurant. You might go, oh, totally. I'm in on that. Let's do it. 
but you may not realize that they've got very, very slim margins because restaurants traditionally do. And they got that large line because they're small in capacity. So if they expand it, does it mean that they're gonna get more business or this is gonna have more tables for those people sitting in the lines? And you know, and and they expand like that and they got the thin margins, but now they've got more labor costs. So is it is it really going to are they gonna be more profitable just because they expanded? If you understood what to look at at a business in a business, if you understood what to look like when it comes to profit, when it comes to these kind of things, some of the tools that are like I have in the book, is then you know you would be able to say, okay, hey, let's do this instead. Let's up your dollar a dollar a dish, fifty cents on your drinks. You know, let's increase your profits on this and see if the line holds, Mm -hmm. right? before you go and you do that investment, you might, and you would kind of work with them and they would have to disclose their full financials with you. They would have to be very transparent and everything. And sometimes when they invest on emotion, they don't necessarily do that. Mm-hmm. But this is a, is a perfect program that for, for that kind of a scenario where you can, again, investors out there, you're listening to this, you can invest local. Get with Jonathan, either, either if you have a business that you're looking at, that you would like to invest in, but you're not really sure, you may not have the full capacity to do it yourself. I think Jonathan would welcome the conversation for you to come and say, you know, talk to him about this business that you like as an investor that you're thinking about investing in, that you don't want the way, they're not looking to sell it big and think they, you know, this kind of, you never knew you had this ability to do that. You were gonna loan them some money or something. Look at this kind of program. I wanna help. I want to be a, a, a advocate and ambassador to capacity to say, let's get this thing going in all, all around our country as we look to not only come out of this thing that we never could have predicted that has had a devastating impact on small businesses to come out of that, but also spread how we create our wealth, that it's not just in stock market, it's not just in buying and selling things, it's investing in the lives, the passion, and the opportunities that these small business owners have out there and everybody wins when you, when you do it right. So that's what I want to say onwards and upwards. It's <laughs> great. Karen, thanks a lot for letting me on here and it's been fun. It's been fun talking to you. Yep. All right. Let's stay in touch and let's get this thing done. Let's do this. Thank you for listening to the Compassionate Capitalist Podcast Radio, where we encourage individual investment in entrepreneurs to create generational wealth and best practices for small businesses to succeed. Help us spread the word about compassionate capitalism by sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues. The Compassionate Capitalist Podcast is available on most podcast platforms, including iTunes, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and many more. In production for over 10 years, there are over 180 episodes available for your listening and educational pleasure. With over 130,000 downloads, this podcast is rapidly becoming the top podcast for investors and entrepreneurs to get the information they need to create generational wealth through entrepreneurism. This podcast is brought to you by the Business Power Tools, which offers an online collaborative environment for leadership teams to prepare business plans, marketing strategies, financial modeling needed to attract capital and scale a business. Also, Lindio as a 
Entrepreneurs Resource Portal, providing access to dozens of lenders offering short-term and long-term debt to help business owners manage their financial cash flow and growth capital needs. BizX, creating affordable advertising resources and other tools for entrepreneurs to succeed and create awareness and trust with their customer base. And Launch Funding Network, part of Cougaran Capital Holdings, is a network of hundreds of angel investors, investor clubs and networks, venture capital firms, private equity funds, family offices, investment bankers, and lenders. Please visit karenrands.co to learn more about the Launch Funding Network and our sponsors and to sign up to get our Compassionate Capitalist Coffee Break and learn more about how we can help you succeed.